There are fewer than 30 men in the world qualified to drive Formula One. A mere half dozen, perhaps, to win. At this moment, I'm inclined to think you're not one of them. This is Desiree for F1Weekly.com. I'm your in-depth correspondent. Let's go with the Steve. Welcome to F1Weekly.com. My name is Clark Rogers. I'm the host of the program. I'll be joined by Nasser Hamid, my co-host. This is podcast number 966, November 21st, 2022, Nasser. Thank you, sir. I say the magic carpet ride for Max is over for the season. So is the gravy ride for Gotifi. We design to Wonderbar Fettel, and 2023 season will be Saint Shumi and Danny. We shall explain gladly. Now back to the shake of podcasting, Clark Ben Rogers. Thank you, Nasser. On today's program, LCH invites everyone to dinner. Latifi fails to bring out the safety car. Max knows this may not happen next year. We say sayonara to Sebastian Vitel. And this week we have an interview with Tom Gaymore, F1 commentator. And just a reminder, we need you to order your Motorsports Memories 2023 calendar as soon as possible. That calendar keeps us alive, it feeds us, it feeds the server. This is the only chance we get to ask and give you, in return, beautiful F1 photography. And on top of that, we need your contributions to keep this program up on the servers. Just click on the Support F1 Weekly tab, you know you want to. Well, there it was, Nath. Welcome to the studio. How you doing? Are you still teary-eyed and misty-eyed about another season is over? Well, yes and no. You know, all good things must come to an end. And, you know, I'm always looking forward to the next Formula One event. Today is Monday and postseason testing is tomorrow. New drivers will be uh, testing cars. So I'm always very excited, always looking forward to more and more. Of Formula One. And sir, as far as this season is concerned, what started out as a wave of red tsunami for Ferrari ended up being a total bloodbath executed very effectively and efficiently by Red Bull and their ruthless rider on the storm, Max Verstappen. No surprise there. You know what is interesting, Mr. Rogers? They talk about we, we, there is no I in team, and we work as a team. But winning for Max is so important to Red Bull. They don't even care for their first ever 1-2 in the Drivers' Championship. Obviously, Christian Honder never came under the spell of Ron Dennis or Frank Williams. As Frank famously said, racing drivers are like bulbs. One goes out, you just put in another. What they have at Red Bull right now is a very bright neon light 
that will shine all the way from Broadway to Bahrain and Baku. How did you enjoy the race, senor? The race was fantastic. Uh, I mean, it was a little bit processional for sure. Mac completely dominated. Let's face seen in a long, long time. It's very impressive. And uh, like I said at the beginning of the show, he bought dinner for all the drivers. They hadn't done that since China 2016. Apparently, everybody loves each other still, even with Max dominating, even with Max being a spoiled brat, as Jeremy Clarkson says, even with Perez just taking it and not being able to say very much about it. So pretty impressive stuff. I'm glad everybody is hugging and kissing like the old days when Jim Clark and everybody were out with the wives and having a good time. Now you said, Lewis said this is the most harmonious group. When he said that, was Max and Alonso also in the room? I'm just curious. All of them were there kissing and hugging. I'm telling you, this is what he loved it. And he loved it so much, he foot the bill. You know, that's a lot of guys. I mean, all these people eat like uh, a little bird. We all know that. So interesting. But yes, it was quoted by Lewis Hamilton. He was happy. And Lewis Hamilton was wearing this purple outfit that really looked like a nice set of pajamas. Yes, and you know, sir, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix not only ended the fabulous 2022 season, but was also bittersweet for the departing drivers. Final race for Sebastian Vettel, who achieved a lot. Final race for Daniel Ricciardo, who promised a lot. Final race for Mick Schumacher, who has a lot. Why even bother in the piranha pool? Final race for Nicholas Latifi. He has a winning last name in food and finance but not in the fast lane of Formula 1. And all rise, final race for Nando at Endstone before throwing stones at the greener pastures. The question is, will he be burning down the house again? And we will find out what Talking Head has to say on this. But, senor, before we do a quickie on Collie, your thoughts on these departing drivers. I think it's interesting because Sebastian Vettel has his entire career in the span of F1 Weekly. So it's very moving. He was there when he got his first chance in the United States. We were there. I mean, it's interesting. And now I'm seeing him retire. Yes, Nasser, we are old. And it's very, very sad. But, you know, the interesting part is he's smart. He's got great vision. And I think in 20 years, he's going to say things like, now I've accomplished something great. F1 was fun, but certainly the world has more important things to be doing. He's going to go on to to do great things in the green world. I, I think it's going to be a great career to follow. And he could certainly contribute to Formula One through his green world. I remember you meeting him at Indy when he made his Grand Prix debut, and I also remember very well that you had recorded a little sound bite of him saying F1 Weekly. Do you remember that? I do remember that. The problem is the sound bite was early digital, and right now it needs restoration. So it's in the lab. Okay, no problem. Yeah, you know, hopefully that he has retired. You know, I, you know, this lady by the name of Britta, who has been his personal assistant through Red Bull and throughout his career, a nice lady. And I remember asking her at one of the races, 
That was interesting conversation, and she was nice about it. I said, you know, uh, possible to do a 10-minute interview with him someday, some race. And she says, no, Sebastian doesn't do one-on-one interview. So I said, okay, you know, he comes from a town called Happenheim in Germany. And I think that's where he was living at that time. So I said, if I come there, can you arrange an interview? Still nine. And uh, But now that he is retired, hopefully he will have some time for, you know, journalists from across the pond. Hopefully. But we will see. They all, all these people, even in Kimi, they talk. But they talk to people they want to talk to. Some are more reserved than others. Some will talk to anybody. But uh, we shall see. But this was a great career, and I enjoyed it immensely. And we'll have a little uh, uh, talk about him uh, a little bit later. But right now we're going to talk briefly about Colliser, poll number seven for Max of the season, third in a row at Yas Marina. Teammate Checo also checked in on the front row, which was his first front row start in Abu Dhabi. And this is the first Red Bull lockout of the front row since Mexico 2018. Daniel Ricciardo used to drive for them. And he's coming back. Charles Leclerc qualified third and finished the season with nine pole position. Teammate Carlos Sainz Jr. was next to him on the grid. Mercedes had a green span moment. The irrational exuberance post Sao Paulo was slower by more than half a second, which was pretty embarrassing. LCH qualified fifth and Brazilian Grand Prix winner Russell was alongside him in sixth. Row 5 was two old wise men. Outgoing Seb and incoming Skirt, Nando, highly explosive. Watch out, Lance and Lawrence. Sir, I'm sure you thought, like everybody else, who will win the race. What was your thought? What What were you thinking what Red Bull will do, may not do, what Checo may do, or Leclerc may do, uh, because there was a big fight on for second place in the championship? What was your take before the race? Well, I thought that Christian Horner would have a strategy for Checo, and that would be pretty much dominating this race because Max had the package, he had pole. I mean, he was on his own. Let me put it this way. To quote a great Finnish driver, leave Max alone, he knows what he's doing. The tires and I, you know, the hards, the degradation, and it was interesting. But he was pretty much out there on his own. I thought they didn't pay that much attention to him getting second, which surprised me. But it was also good for Ferrari, and maybe deep down, folks, they felt so crappy for Leclerc that they thought maybe it'd be a nice thing to do. So you never know what's going on these days with all the harmony involved. You know, this is my take on this. I can't prove it. After the race, how Checo gave the interview, very PC, okay? I have a feeling that, you know, after uh, the brouhaha in Brazil, Red Bull put out a press release that it was team's fault. So I have a feeling that Checo has been advised in plain, simple English and Espanol what his place in the team is, not not to expect anything from Checo, uh, from uh, Max. Yeah, I, I mean, I said this a few weeks ago that Max is not going to help this guy. That's not in his DNA. But anyway, sir, we'll talk a little bit about the race, 58 laps. Top 15 drivers started on mediums. Oh, the attendance was 
for the week reported to be 160,000. And I have attended this race. And let me just tell you, when you go there, you see the races in Abu Dhabi, right? You see people from all over the world, all over the world, except for the place where the race is taking place. But that's another story. It's an observation. And you have to go to that part of the world, Mr. Rogers. You will enjoy. The facility is incredible. The track, you know, is a Tilkadrome. The facility itself running in front of this fancy hotel. Very, very impressive. And so was the start and the finish. Impressive, but expected. Max took off and never looked back. This was, for me, going to be an easy-peasy 1-2 for Red Bull in the race and the championship. And your favorite, LCH, was flying high after tangling with Carlito on the opening lap. And this was my most interesting moment of the race. Sainz Jr. wasted no time in... You know, Sainz Jr. is no fan of Max Verstappen. We all know that. But he wasted no time in sending a radio sling and arrow telling his team... Last year, he did exactly the same thing with Verstappen. Nice to know young whippersnappers can hold on to old memories. Did you notice that, sir? I thought it was very impressive how, I mean, you know, with all the traveling, the fatigue, I was impressed with his, with his recollection, as they say in Washington, D.C. But obviously, the, that lean diet is also good for the memory. The other exciting uh, moment was lap 9 when Russell is told, you are free to race your teammate, and he does a hammer time on Hamilton. Lewis complaining of power issues. At the same time, tremendous dice going on between Ocon and Fettel with machismo within striking distance. Lap 10, Max leading by over 2 seconds on Checo, then 2 Ferraris and 2 Silver Arrows, Leclerc ahead of Sainz and George ahead of LCH. Now, Ferrari is taking credit for doing a dummy uh, radio call. I don't know what your take on that is. But lap 16, Perez was brought in for new tires, Red Bull thinking that Ferrari will be on two-stop strategy, and that gave second place to Leclerc. Checo came out in fifth, but was passed by Seb. A lap later, Checo was back in top five. Do you think they fell for the Ferrari drum, dummy call as they are claiming, or he was having issues, which I know he was anyway? I think there were issues, but I think they fell for it as well. I am telling you, it works really, really well. Lap 19, LCH in, then telling the team he thinks the floor is kaput. Lap 21, race leader in, comes out just ahead of Checo with Leclerc in, in the lead. Lap 22, Leclerc in, comes out behind the two Red Bulls. Lap 24, oh man, lap 24 was a sight to behold. Alonso chasing, I'll say this slowly, Yuki Sonoda for 11. Once upon a time, this hombre was chasing the Schumachers and Hamiltons and Fettles of the world for the race lead. Karma has not been kind to him, and he was out of his Alpine misery on lap 28. What do you make of his last few races with Alpine and his attitude? And his comments. I think the attitude is wonderful. I expect it. I love it. It's machismo-ness in its rawest form. Hey, sometimes Yuki Sonoda's in their way are are in the way. That's why we have Nahrain Karthikan or all of the other funny backmarkers. It's all for entertainment. But no, it, this is great stuff. I mean, I'm loving every minute. And it's funny because you know. 
the statements that when things weren't going well with LCH and he's questioning the car, what's wrong? It's got to be the car. It reminded me of Fernando, who used to do that occasionally. And I'm just going, these championship A guys, they're great entertainment. I love them all. Okay, Mr. Clark Horner. Okay, lap 30, Checo was feeling the heat from Leclerc. And now this was interesting. Even the commentator asked, why not allow Max to let Checo buy and then hold up the Ferrari? And that, what I thought should have been the strategy from the start of the race. Lap 34, Checo in for second time. Perez comes out in sixth while Leclerc was second, five seconds behind Max. Now the race was on for second in the championship. And at that time, I had an inkling that Ferrari is going to go the whole distance on one stop. So it was going to come down to the last few laps. 20 laps to go, Checo was 18 seconds behind Leclerc. As they say in racing, catching is one thing, passing is another. And lap 39, guess what? It's yesterday once more, Mick and Nick coming together. Nice to know Massey has left the building. And speaking of last year, Mr. Rogers, your man was correct about karma. Speaking of last year's Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, Checo was proud to have played Minister of Defense last year for platoon commander Maximilian. Well, on Sunday he got a taste of his own medicine. Lap 40, LCH in third with Checo behind and pumping fast time. If only LCH had pulled over to let the Red Bull slaughter the prancing horse, Checo would be numero dos in the championship also. Ten laps to go, Checo eight seconds behind Leclerc. The Ferrari doing a one-stop race. Seven laps to go, he is six seconds behind Leclerc. And Lewis can't go more than 55 laps. Three laps from the end, he was asking directions for local Amco. Amco is the world's largest transmission specialist. Just say, Jaja sends me. Double A, MC. I think the tranny was not lucky for Hemi this time around. You know, amazingly, this was Mercedes's first mechanical DNF of the season with all the issues they had, so at least they had some reliability, if not the pace. On final lap, Chaco was still outside the DRS zone. Max was never going to throw him a bone. Chaco left out in the cold in the heat of Arabian night. I say welcome to the Max Thunderdome. So the winner was Max Verstappen. It's lonely at the top, they say, but Max is loving it. 15 wins for the season is not only a new track record, but also same number of wins as Senna and Prost combined in their dominating 1988 season for McLaren Honda. Now check this out, Mr. Rogers. I know we have a lot of races now and cars are very um, reliable. In his two back-to-back championship winning years, Max has won 25 Grand Prix races. Same number as career total of Jim Clark. A classic case of be careful what you wish for just might come true. One dominating era comes to an end to start another one. And this one, I'm afraid, will go to the max. I mean, you know the number of wins Max has now, Mr. Rogers? This is, he's going to blow by 103 for uh, Lewis very quickly. I mean, the numbers and stats are very, very scary for Max. Scary for the competition. But then again, it's one of those things, you know. He may have the same fate one of these days as Lewis this year or Alonso since 2007. 
You know what I'm saying? So it's all a matter of uh, package. But nothing could be taken away from his exceptional racing talent. He has really matured, and I know he's getting a lot of slings and arrows uh, of the way he behaved and operated in Brazil. This is not going to change, but he's just going to pile on, or as Sam Posey used to say, he's going to pour it on season after season. What say you on Max, sir? I think he is a great talent, but I'd hate to see that talent drive for just one team. I'm one of those kinds of guys that likes to see people move around, you know, try a Ferrari, a Renault, see how they eat on the other side. I don't know. It's same for Lewis. I was, I was always hoping that Lewis would go to Ferrari or, or another team, you know, just to see how well they do, you know, because that's when it gets exciting. Like Schumacher, boom, Benetton, boom, Ferrari. I mean, it was machismo. It was awesome. Uh, I have to give it to Fernando. He's trying all the teams. And still not winning. And Lewis was at McLaren once upon a time and was on the podium in his first nine races in his rookie season. So he has changed teams also. And he's gone through lean years also. This year was exceptional lean for him, especially by his standards. But we let these things happen. And that's, that's the thing about Formula One. You know, if you get into a team like Charles Leclerc, He's there for already for many years. He's working hard, and hopefully they'll get this whole thing put together. Now, I was listening to another podcast, and they actually quoted that uh, this journalist said that at one time, Luca Montezemolo said to him, I want Ferrari to be quintessential Italian. And then the commentator said, this day and age, and I totally agree with, uh, you got to bring in the best people, whether they're Italian or Armenian, doesn't matter. But uh, the problem they have, they have their own issues. So even if they have a, even if they have a car that is as competitive as uh, Red Bull, I know for a fact, Carlos Sainz is not going to beat Max Verstappen to, to become world champion in an equally competitive car. Leclerc may be able to do that. So they are dealing with a very formidable competitor. So they'll have to uh, get something that's. 0.3.4 faster than Red Bull to take the championship. But we will see how it works out. Okay, sir, second in the race, Charles Leclerc. I like a good racer, and he's definitely one of them. It was nice to see him finish the season on a high and happy note by grabbing second in the championship by finishing second on Sunday. But I think one more lap and his spaghetti dishes would have been done. The hot streak he had for the first three races disappeared like fever in the night. Let's hope Ferrari will have a competitive car, strategy, and pit stops all season long in 2023. You know, they have not had a world champion since 2007. And that's, you know, as famous as Ferrari is from 1950 and magical name, mythical name, most wins, blah, blah, blah. They go through very long, lean period of time. You know, like when John Surtees won the championship in 64, then it was uh, Nicky Lauda in 75. And then after Schechter won in 1979, they did not win till the Red Baron showed up there. And he even, he took five years before he got a championship in a red car. But uh, we'll see. I definitely would like to see uh, three or four drivers duke it out for the championship next year. And that will be what you call competition. 
Okay, now, sir, this is uh, very interesting. You know, this Italian newspaper, Gazzetto della Sport, reported that Benotto will be kicked out after the season. And I will not be surprised if Benotto is given the boot during the off-season. Not that I want this, but the way things are going, it may happen. And I'm not trying to push any conspiracy theories here, but I'm trying to put two and two together about the rumors that Benotto may be replaced by Frederick Vassar. And here is my pretzel logic on this situation. Frederick Vassar and Nicola Todd at one time owned ART Grand Prix, which was very successful in GP2 slash F2. The Todd team, father and son, have strong links still at Ferrari. Three Nicola Todd managed drivers were given Ferrari contracts, Felipe Massa, Charles Leclerc, and the late Jules Bianchi. It is based on this, knowing the right people in the right places, that I will not be surprised if Binotto is moved to another office to bring in Vassar. And guess who is uh, the head of the Karting Commission of FIA? Another uh, one of these uh, mentioned names, Felipe Massa. Uh, what say you on the Binotto situation, sir? He's out of there. Montezemolo would never have kept this guy around this long. They usually go through them pretty quickly. Don't forget our old smoking cigarettes and spitting in Singapore guy. So, yeah, it's normal. Ferrari moves through these people quickly. Let's go. Quickly, quickly. The one who went really quick was the guy you call hipster, Mattiachi, or whatever the name was. He was a hipster. Yeah. Okay, moving on, moving on. Third in the race, Sergio Perez. He finished third in the race and the championship. His team did a Scuderia Ferrari on him. They shocked not the monkey, but prancing horse into second place in the championship and gave the our favorite Isaac Hayes CD to Checo. I know it's very easy to say this, but all they had to do to get him second in the championship was allow him to take the lead at the start, and Max would have had no problem holding off Leclerc in third. And in the closing laps, they could have done a switcheroo. A Red Bull won two in the race and the championship. That was not done, proving once again there is room at Red Bull only for one love child. He is supreme in the minds of Mr. Horner and Dr. Marco. And to borrow a phrase from Robert Cray, the number two at Red Bull will always be just another notch on my guitar because Max is such a strong persuader and racer. And that he is, whether you like him or not, is another story. Mr. Rogers, are you simpatico to Checo on this issue? Absolutely. As I pointed out in the previous podcast, Max will never be able to enjoy authentic Mexican cuisine again unless his mama makes it. And we know that his mom is a good cook, but no Dutch woman and fake quality Mexican cuisine. So it's a tough nut to swallow. I'm sorry, Max, but I'm telling you, if he was a little older, he would understand that it would have been worth it to help Checo be number two just for the enchiladas alone during Christmas. You know, speaking of Mexican cuisine, I remember reading this long time ago about Pedro Rodriguez that he once flew from London to Paris to have Mexican food because he thought at least in those days they didn't have good Mexican food in London town 
And you know, I love fajitas and horchata, so maybe that's what we will do next time we get together, Mr. Rogers. Unless you want to go for chalupa at Taco Bell. Yo quiero Taco Bell. Exactly. Okay, sir, moving on. Fourth was Carlos Sainz Jr. The Ferrari team was not going to challenge Red Bull in Abu Dhabi, so he did the best he could. He scored points in 18 of 22 races this season, nine podium finishes, and the high point was maiden victory at the track where Ferrari won their very first Formula One Championship Grand Prix. The stone near Toaster. Do you remember uh, Fernando Alonso driving the first Ferrari that won the 1951 British Grand Prix on Saturday and on Sunday he drove his own Ferrari to victory. Do you remember that moment? It was exciting. A thrill. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, sir. Fifth man of the moment, George Russell. As if bitch slapping Botas was not enough in his first drive in a Mercedes, he has now rattled the cage of Sir Win a Lot, taking both the sprint and main show in Sao Paulo. With Mercedes W13, he was lucky, taking fourth in the championship ahead of Science Jr. and LCH, outscoring the seven-time world champion by 35 points. I guess Toto will not hold the line for LCH much longer. Let me tell you, outscoring a Ferrari with that Mercedes W13, that is an incredible achievement. What say you? I totally agree. Doing it with a crappy car... It's very hard to do. It's very Fernando-esque. And Toto hates this car. LCH said the best thing about the end of the season, I don't have to drive the W13. I don't have to look at the W13. That thing is going right to the Stuttgart wrecking yard. Jawohl. You know, um, I remember Jensen Button. I think it was when he was with the McLaren Honda project. He got out of the car, and his comment was, I've never been so happy to get out of a racing car. That's how much a disaster that package was. CP2, engine. CP2. But that GP2 engine is winning now. You know, Frederick Wesser, when he became boss of Sauber, they had just agreed a deal with the Honda, and that was the first thing he canceled. (laughs) That's the way it goes. Okay, sir. Six was another whippersnapper, Lando Norris. He did to his teammate what Ricciardo did to Fettel at Red Bull. Not too long ago, Norris lost his first win in the Russian roulette he played in the rain at Sochi. The talent is there, and once he has a package, he will deliver. He set the fastest lap of the race on Sunday. And Mr. Rogers, you made an interesting observation on Sebastian Fettel coming into uh, race Formula 1 and leaving in the lifespan of um, F1 Weekly. And there are many drivers on the grid now that we have interviewed when they were, you know, whippersnappers and not in Formula 1. So it's very, very fascinating to, you know, meet a kid who's 15, 16. The next thing you know is uh, probably the greatest racing driver of all time, as we did with Max in Vegas some years ago. So it's very interesting. And I remember in that George Russell was there also. Very young, but still very tall. And here we are. So that's very, very interesting. Okay. Ocon. Esteban Ocon was seventh. He scored points in 16 races. Best finish was fourth at Suzuka. He definitely helped Alpine finish fourth in the Constructors' Championship ahead of McLaren. In the Drivers' Championship, he was eighth. 
ahead of his machismo teammate, outscoring the soon-to-be newborn from Barcelona at Aston Martin, 92-81. to Next season, Ocon will be numero uno at Alpine and will have his karting rival, one-time friend and fellow Francais Pierre Gasly as teammate. I expect nothing but constant headaches for Otmar Safnauer. And sir, speaking of Aston Martin, Baby Born, also known as Lan, also known as Lance Stroll, was eight. He scored points in eight races, and best finish was sixth in uh, Singapore. But I got to tell you, man, this guy has been on the podium, and he was on pole. If I remember correctly, it was the Turkish Grand Prix where he was on pole, right? Well, he may not be Alain Prost, but he's definitely no uh, Nicholas Latifi. Okay, Ricardo, Daniel Ricciardo was ninth. He was involved in a good battle with his ex-teammate Fettel that was fun to watch. Now the party's over for the Honey Badger and he is headed back to the House of Pain. Red Bull as reserve and demo driver. Always a happy chappy. I hope he lands a full-time drive in 2024. Do you think he'll be able to come back with a decent team? No, there's going to be too much talent on the rise. There's too many people coming in, Piastri, Sargent. Nope. Once you're out, you're out. It's the modern world, unless you're Fernando. But, you know, he's machismo, like Prost. Yes. The final point in his final race was taken by Sebastian Fettel. His pursuit of Ricciardo reminded me of Shumi's final race for Ferrari in Brazil. 2006, when he had to make a pit stop after cutting tire from the front wing of Fisico. So, sir, to ta- uh, to wrap it up, top three in drivers' championship world champion Max Verstappen, 454 points, 15 wins in 2022 alone. Second, Charles Leclerc, 308 points, three wins, two in the first three races. Then the pizza got delivered to the wrong place. Third, Sergio Perez, 305 points, best ever finish for a Mexican driver in Formula 1 championship, which is very impressive. But just like Barrichello and Botas, his only crime is having the wrong teammate. Top three in the Constructors' Championship, Red Bull, 759 points, second Ferrari, 554, and third Mercedes, 515. But sir... We have more now. We have to talk about the also-reigns also, who were once important, starting with your favorite, Lewis Hamilton. He will remember this race and the season like the host of one of the oldest podcasts remembers the 2007 season like it never happened. He is no longer the only driver to have won a race every season he competed in. But still, 15 years of winning is more than just being Lucky Luciano of motor racing. After his argy-bargy with Sainz Jr., it looked like there was no damage. He even escaped the wrath of stewards, but somebody once used the word karma, and it came back in the form of hydraulic issues. As I mentioned, with all that jumping and humping, porpoising issues, most of the season, this was the first mechanical DNF for the Silver Arrows. Hopefully Mercedes will have a competitive package next season, but then Lewis will have two headaches. One is called Maxigitis, and the other is called Georgiaitis. Sir, do you think Mercedes will bring a car that will be that can challenge for the championship all season long? I think they can. Yes, I think they will 
Ferrari will be up there. But LCH, you know, him and Toto, they're going to hold hands for months. And they're going to come up with something that's going to have, let me put it this way, nice side pods. Yeah, I have a feeling that the biggest challenge to Max and Red Bull next year will come from uh, Mercedes. I don't know if it will come from uh, George or Lewis, but I'll tell you, the cars are equally competitive. George will take a lot of points and maybe a lot of wins from uh, Lewis, and Lewis will do the same, so they're going to end up handing the championship to Max again. Kind of like the McLaren situation in 2007, but we shall see. Now, you remember Schumacher and Machismo had in their contract, they will receive a car at the end of each season. I'm not sure if Lewis has this clause in his contract, but I have a feeling he would rather see Toto enter his Mercedes W3, W13 in a figure eight race with Nico Rosberg at the wheel. That'll be nice. Have you ever been to a figure eight race? No, sir. Only watched it on television. I have sensitive skin, Nasser. I can't go to one of those races. Well, I, I've been to one at Watsonville, which is not far from San Jose, and it was a lot of what you call giggles. Okay, so now we come to Alonso. Misery loves old company. Machismo would also like to forget this season. Six DNFs and only three top five finishes. No podium appearance for the driver who shot down the Red Baron. What kind of package you think Lauren Stroll will give him next season. Oh, it's going to be exciting, competitive. You're going to see all of a sudden Vettel is going to leave right when the Aston Martin is Bond-like. Like what? Fast. Top five. Top five. Oh, boy. He's still shooting for top five after all these years? You don't want me to say that he's going to be on pole in Australia. No, I I think I would like to see him qualify fifth and win the race. He could. You know, he's got the, the, the je ne sais quoi's. That he does. That he does. There's no question about it. But the thing is, you know, um, I don't think uh, Aston Martin will have a very competitive car. But we shall see. But, you know, what will be very interesting, maybe Formula 1 should do that, especially with, like, with him. Maybe at one of the races, ask Red Bull, you know, send uh, Checo for a vacation for one race and put Machismo in that car. Let's see what he can do. Yep. I, w- I, will be not su- I will not be surprised at all if he wins that race. It will be just like when they put, uh, you know, when Max was taken out of Alpha Tauri and put into uh, Red Bull. You know what happened there. That he does. That he does. There's no question about it. But the thing is, you know, um, I don't think... Uh, Aston Martin will have a very competitive car. But we shall see. But you know what will be very interesting? Maybe Formula 1 should do that. Especially with, like, with him. Maybe at one of the races ask Red Bull. You know, send uh, Checo for a vacation for one race and put Machismo in that car. Let's see what he can do. Yep. I, w- I, will be not su- I will not be surprised at all if he wins that race. It will be just like when they put, uh, you know, when... Max was taken out of Alpha Tauri and put into uh, Red Bull. You know what happened there? Yes, machismo You know what happened there? Yes, machismo
Yeah, even on debut, man. And I, you know what? I wonder how Daniel Kvyat felt that evening. Nasser, now we've got an interesting interview with an F1 commentator. Why don't you introduce this gentleman? Yes, sir. Tom Gaymore is a form- Formula One commentator, and I would like to thank him very much for his time. And also many thanks to our F1 Weekly Familia member, Mr. Philip Pegler, who is living in Northern California, not too far from you. And it was through his kind efforts that his this interview was arranged. And so I'm very thankful. And I've already invited Mr. Gaymore for some curry action next time the F1 Weekly members meet in Milton Keynes. So I really enjoyed talking to him, and uh, I hope our listeners uh, do the same. Good morning, Mr. Gaymore. Nazir, how are you? Fine, thank Apologies, you. Apologies, I'm late. No worries, no worries. How are things in London town? Good, thank you very much. Good, good, good. I'm glad we are here on the line. Okay, let's start with, um, I enjoy your work, uh, but will you please tell our listeners, we have listeners all over the world, quite a few yeah. in UK also, a little bit about yourself, please. Yes, of course. So my name's Tom Gaymore. I'm a broadcaster in motorsport. I started off behind the wheel. I've swapped the wheel for a microphone. That was about 10 years ago that I started my commentary career. But my racing career, I started when I was sort of 15, ended up doing Formula Renault and various other things uh, at an early age and Formula Ford and stuff in the UK. And then I had corrected back surgery so that meant that I could no longer compete and or do it safely and I had to to come up with a plan B wanted to stay in motorsport so very very lucky to to have a an opportunity to start off as a pundit but then make the transition most recently to the lead commentary role Fantastic. Okay, now everybody and their grandma is talking about Max and his, you know, whatever he did in Brazil. Uh, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously with the, the sort of social media world that we live in, there's a real impatience to, to reach a judgment around his actions or anything controversial. I think, you know, from my perspective, it's actually a, a fascinating insight into the psychology of the man and or the the psychology of athletes across the spectrum that are successful and their individual makeups. No athlete is the same, but they do have behavior, behavioral traits and uh, views and values that, that might not be conducive to, to other industries and or relationships, friendships and so forth. So, you know, from Max's perspective, he's created his own narrative. He's absolutely certain that his narrative is correct. And it's, uh, you know, in, in his eyes, something that, that he has no remorse over and, and, and has moved on very quickly. I think, you know, would I have done it? No, uh, but I'm not. Max, I'm not a double world champion, and, and and there we go. And you know, if you look at the bigger picture, it is a team game. And has Sergio helped him out? Yes, he absolutely has. And would it have been lovely to have repaid that faith and to have given Sergio that leg up and points advantage heading into Abu Dhabi? It would have certainly been really helpful. But I think we will see Max helping Sergio in, in Abu Dhabi if he can. 
but I don't think he will be dwelling on that point. His agenda in Abu Dhabi will be his own goals and, you know, I don't think he dwells too much on, on losing or failure and or moving over. He'll be focused on the win. And he most likely will get that. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. No, he's been very good in the Red Bull car, very good over the spectrum of racetracks that we visit over the calendar. So I think that there's no reason why we won't see the Red Bull competitive in Abu Dhabi. Okay, let's uh, talk now about the other deep dive of the season. What happened to Ricciardo at McLaren? Obviously, he did not hit the delete button on his talent folder. How do you look at this situation? Do you know what? I've really felt for, for Danny Rick. I mean, he's a wonderful character. He's a very, very likable chap. He's been very successful, not just in Formula One, but in his journey to, uh, to Formula One. And this has been the first real hurdle that he's faced as long as I can remember him you know, go back to commentating on him in Formula 3 when he was dominant and, you know, it's 3.5 years and then he got that opportunity at Silverstone, never looked back. He was up against a very, very quick teammate at Red Bull and he's made the transition to McLaren and he's been up against a very, very quick teammate in Lando Norris. I mean, Lando is unequivocally a future world champion if the equipment's there. He's very, very confident, he's calm, he's collected, and he's very consistent. He has all of the ingredients and attributes to be a world champion. He's relentless. In every single session, you see Lando get the most out of the equipment. And I think early on in Daniel's days at McLaren, that sort of relentless consistency would have ground him down quite quickly. But he's been in that situation where, as an athlete or, you know, whatever the sport you're in, he just can't find an answer. And it's just as simple as that. He cannot find an answer. And when he goes to bed at night, looks in the mirror, he will have been deeply lost and frustrated and downbeat about that. And it's, it's a horrible feeling. It's a, it's a very, you know, uh, very much a, a, a rabbit hole that he's been down. And, you know, for his sanity and uh, well-being, it, 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 it's probably a good thing that it's, that it's come to an end. I'd almost like to see him have a break from Formula One, to be honest with you. I'd like to see him sort of fire break, move away, remember what it's like to have fun in a race car, whatever that is, get that smile back on his face in the car. He always has a smile, puts a brave face on out the car, but just remember what it is that he enjoyed so much throughout his career and that, you know, the, the sort of magic that driving a race car uh, delivers. It would be lovely to see him have that experience away from the pr- pressure and scrutiny of Formula One. So personally, I'd love to see him get away from it and then come back. But, you know, that's my take on it. He just has not been able to find an answer. His replacement is fellow Aussie Oscar Piastri. Do you think he will be able to, what we call at F1 Weekly, rattle the cage of Lando Norris? Well, I've just sort of listed one or two of Lando's strengths. But we've not seen Lando under pressure yet. Oscar Piastri has the... The potential to put Lando under pressure, but we've got to remember that Lando will put Oscar Piastri under pressure too. So it works both ways. 
Lando has a strong footing and he has the confidence. How will Oscar Piastri deal with the pressure that Lando puts him under? And that's that sort of relentless consistency that I talked about, that sort of oppression that, that will have broken Daniel uh, in his time alongside Lando. He, he, he never has a session off. Every single session that you see Lando in the car, every single lap, he's relentless. And whether or not he's feeling unwell or whatever it is, he will be there all the time. And it'll be interesting to see how Oscar Piastri deals with that. But I'm excited about the matchup because I actually think Oscar has all the potential to be every bit as good as Lando, if not better. So I think it's a wonderful makeup. I think McLaren will have their hands full managing the pair of them. And it, you know, it's, it's no doubt something that, that Zach and, and, and everyone at McLaren will be looking forward to as we all are as fans. Yes. Now, George Russell has made my next question invalid, but I'll ask you anyway, and this was about Mercedes. Do you think the zero sideboard concept killed their chances of success this season? And will they continue with this concept next season? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it killed their, um, you know, killed their chances because they're, they're <laughs> at the, when we first saw it, we, we thought it was revolutionary and, and, and was going to be the, 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 the golden ticket to securing their success, but, but it, it didn't transpire to, to be that. But, you know, listen, they made it successful. They've, they made a success of it in, in Interlagos. So it, it's, it's been a long, hard year for Mercedes, but they've stuck at it with the budget cap and everything. They've, they've been diligent. They've done what they can. And listen, I think they would have started working very early on, on next year's concepts. So I don't know. It's I don't think it's killed their chances. But as as we as we say, we haven't seen Mercedes as competitive as they've been over the years. But it was lovely to see George and the team get their results because they really earned that. They've worked so hard. It's so often in Formula One when people go down the wrong line and or it doesn't go their way it's very very difficult to recover because it's so tightly fought but to actually see Mercedes stick at it and claw back that sort of ground has has actually been arguably maybe one of their greatest successes over the years even though it's just netted one win. Um, we refer to Lewis Carl Hamilton on our podcast as Sir Win a Lot okay yes. Do you think he will get championship number eight before he retires and moves to Hollywood Hills? He wants to, and there's no reason why he can't. As we know, in Formula One, it's very dependent on the equipment that you have underneath you. And with Mercedes tracking in the right direction, I think that he will be a little bit more upbeat. Certainly over the last few races, handful, six, seven races, after the summer break, he's been the driver to beat. So it's nice to see George actually deal with that pressure, soak it up and actually come back and be, uh, you know, bookending the season, how he started off, so to speak. I don't think Lewis will be too worried about George. Lewis is obviously focused on his own destiny, has total belief in his own uh, abilities, but it's dependent on whether or not their package is is competitive next year. There was a little bit of discussion in Interlagos that actually it wasn't 
Mercedes having made a massive breakthrough. It was the fact that, you know, Red Bull just weren't at it. We saw in Austria the same sort of issues for Red Bull. It was just one of those races where they just couldn't get the tyre to work as they wanted to, couldn't get the medium tyre to work. So it was similar to Austria when when they went missing in uh, that weekend. It'll be interesting to see where Mercedes are in Abu Dhabi and where Red Bull are as well. Okay. Now... Jolly old England and Scotland have produced 10 world champions, while the second most successful nations, Brazil and Germany, have three each. So the question I have for you is this. Are the British drivers a wee bit better than everyone, or is there more to the story? Of course we're... No, I was joking. <laughs> I would love to say wait, wait. Do you know what? Looking at the... I was looking at the sort of academies that are churning out drivers. I have to say that the FFSA have done a wonderful job over the last couple of decades as well with the drivers that they've brought out of France. Okay, might not have gone on to deliver the ultimate success, but you look at the likes of Lobogier uh, in World Rally all come through the FFSA and then if you know you don't need to list the drivers that have that have come through the French program in, in and around Formula One, you know that there was a, a big hole off John Alesi and they they've delivered some some really competitive and, and world class drivers. But, you know, from our perspective, we are it's an embarrassment to riches because Lewis is incredible, the greatest of all time, arguably. And we've got George Russell, Lando Norris queuing up. Uh, the, the, the list goes on. There's a couple of bright stars coming through as well. So, yeah, I think we, we know better. It's just we, we've, we've been very fortunate in the talent that we've put into Formula One and that has managed to get to Formula One and then the opportunities that they've managed to get when they get there as well. Look, Jensen Button, in the end, got his just deserves with a world championship as well. So, you know, he was so talented and very much lauded as the next greatest thing when he arrived. Do you remember when he was having that shootout with Bruno Junquera for the Williams drive? And oh, yes. You know, it's very much like when Kimi Raikkonen arrived and, and then, you know, the, that excitement. But it just took time for Jensen because he didn't have the right equipment. But, you know, certainly George in the Mercedes, Lando in the McLaren, Lewis making the transition from McLaren to Mercedes. You know, we've been very fortunate with where our drivers have been placed. Yes. Okay, talking of young talent, Nick DeFries, what a story this is. He took three years to win Formula Renault Euro Cup, another three years to win Formula 2 Championship, but at Monza got one chance and grabbed the bull by the horn. What does it say about the F1 feeder system that the championship winning driver is not promoted to Grand Prix racing as we see with Felipe Drugovic this year? Yeah, for Drogovic, it's a bit frustrating. We've seen it over the decades. It hasn't changed. It will always be the same to a certain extent unless there's some wholesale changes. But Formula 1 is all about timing and your opportunity you need a huge amount of luck, but there's also a political element to it as well. And all of the pieces need to come together for, for your opportunity to arise. Look, Oscar, Oscar Piastri didn't make his way straight into Formula One as well. And he is arguably one of the greatest talents to come out of Formula Two over the last few years. I think for Nick DeVries, I've known Nick for a while. He's a wonderful kid. He's very professional. He's got time for everyone. His 
technical feedback is spot on. He's got a great family behind him. He does it with a smile on his face. He enjoys what he does. I think, you know, he's a karting world champion and then he had to really learn his trades through the junior formula, the single seater world when he developed, you know, when he progressed into cars. I always say, in motorsport, we tend to hero worship those that get the hang of it quickly. But if you look at other sports, athletes develop at a different rate of knots. So you might get somebody that's very much at the top of their game at 19, 20 years of age, but then you'll get somebody else who doesn't go to their first Olympics until they're 26 and then goes on to win gold medals. So, you, you know, people do develop at different rates. And I think now... Nick DeVries, however long it's taken him, is immaterial because it's it's where it's it's about measuring potential. It's where he goes now, and I think he's well placed to to make the most of his Formula One opportunity. Okay, thank you. Now, Formula One, mega global sport, going to destination cities like Baku and Doha, and we don't have a race in the land of Schumacher and Fangio. I know it's good for Liberty Media bank account. Do you think it is good for the sport in the long term? I think. The sport is underpinned by legacy, by history. That's what give it gives it its stature. That's what makes it magical. I think we must never move too far away from that. We, we absolutely have to have the framework and the skeleton built around that legacy, built around that history, the ghosts and the ghouls, if you like, of yesteryear. And the fan base there is so loyal and so engaged that, that they mustn't be forget forgotten as we chase the, the the revenue streams, if you like, in this difficult global economy that we've got post-COVID. So it's a fine balance. I like what Liberty have done in America. Cracking the American market is really, really important. I think they've done some really good stuff there. But in terms of really growing the calendar, there's talks about, is it too much? Are we placing too much pressure on the teams and drivers and personnel that, that, that follow that sort of Formula One circus? And do we need to go to some of the events that, quite frankly, don't provide the engagement? They might provide the, the global TV audience, but we haven't seen the sort of 300,000 people and engaged fan base attending uh, at the circuit itself. So really important to build new fan bases, really important to visit new countries and showcase Formula One on, on a global stage in parts of the world that need that input, need that investment and that haven't hosted Formula One races, but, but it's a fine balance. Okay. That's a diplomatic answer, really, isn't it? Well, you know, it's a good answer because you even answered my next question, but I'll ask it anyway. Yeah. Uh, Liberty Media, there was a lot of talk they will Americanize the sport. I'm glad we don't have cheer cheerleaders on the front straight. Um, I think what they have done has been mostly positive. Uh, drive to survive would have never happened under BE. Um, what's your take on their contribution? I think Liberty have really grabbed the bull by the horns and taken it forwards. The injection from the digital platform in terms of growing the fan base has been huge. Netflix has provided uh, a wonderful digital platform to showcase Drive to Survive and the influx of young uh, and, and old, if you like, fans, male and female, that the sort of inclusivity and, and, and the growth in that area has just been remarkable. And I think that growth 
has enabled liberty to to grow the sport in America as well. And it, it you know it, it, it's wonderful to see. I, I only see positives out of it because I see Formula One back in a digital era now, driving forwards with a really engaged fan base, with a growing fan base, with a young fan base. You know, all sports at the moment are struggling to engage that younger fan base, the, the ones that are watching online, on tablets, on phones. How do we engage the young audience? It's a race to that start line, if you like, because if you can capture that young audience, then you, you've got uh, a wonderful opportunity to build revenue streams and success. And I think Liberty have one eye on that, that, that previously Formula One may be ignored. And, you know, you can really see that. You can see that the engagement on social media, be it positive or negative, is there, that, that there's a huge amount of... Uh, input from the younger audience that are across social media that are watching Formula One and that's all down to liberty so good on them. You know here in the US they say what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas but what's going to happen there next year in November that's going to be going all over the world. Are you looking forward to the race in Vegas baby? Yeah absolutely I mean Las Vegas needs no introduction. It reminds me of one of those sort of boxing bouts where they you know the rumble in the jungle where they, where they celebrate the 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 venue and everything that goes with that and, and and the whole occasion you know the miami grand prix tried to be that it, I, I always say it's more of an event than a race but I, I i think vegas has with the street track all the ingredients to be a, a great race but it's going to be a hell of an event and that's what formula one's missed over the last few years is that sort of event style that the Indy 500 creates, if, uh, if you like. And, and, I, and I think Vegas is just going to be one that there's just no one that will miss that race. Everyone will watch every single session, everything about that weekend, and it will capture the, the casual fan as well. That is going to draw in a hell of an audience. And it's a massive scout for, for Liberty to, to get that on the calendar. Can't wait. Yes. Okay, Andretti is a world championship winning name and globally respected. They are facing a lot of headwind in entering Formula 1. Do you think teams should influence new entrants simply because their slice of the pie will be reduced? No, in a, in a nutshell. I think if we live in an era whereby Andretti and everything that the Andretti name stands for, Andretti lives and breathes motorsport. It's the... the they're all petrol heads. It, 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 they're entwined with the sport, the, the history, the, the commitment, everything that they've given to the sport. They're, they're one of the biggest names in global motorsport. And when we're in an era whereby Andretti cannot find a way into Formula One, then for me, that's not a level playing field. That's not what we want to see. As fans, we want to see as many teams as possible on that grid and when the likes of Andretti come knocking because of who they are because of the history they've got behind them and what they can bring it, it's a crying shame that, that that they're not being included and it's almost similar to the Colton Herter discussion isn't it where you've got a multiple race winner somebody who is more than capable of managing a Grand Prix car and the pressures and the responsibilities that come with it a, a real 
superstar in the making, one of the most exciting young drivers of a generation. When they can't find a way into Formula One, again, something has gone wrong. I understand the politics behind it and the point system, and he didn't have enough points. But for me, Andretti should be in Formula One. Colton Herter should be in Formula One. And, uh, you, you know, that's, that's just clear cut for me. You know, Colton Herter raced in uh, Formula MSA against uh, Lando Norris and Dan Tictum and also raced in the Spanish Euro Open Formula Series and he won several races both years in Europe. So this, the way they are distributing these points, is uh, this needs to be reviewed. Definitely. And it's essentially to, to protect the ladder up to Formula 1 because what you'll find is with the expenditure needed to compete in FIA Formula 3 and FIA Formula 2, if you created a platform whereby people could go to IndyCar and sidetrack or, or jump through the Formula 2 hoop without having to spend millions, they probably would. And, that, you know, that I think there's a real political stance and sort of emphasis on protecting that FAA ladder in, in Formula 1. But for me, as a purist, I, I, I just want to see the, the best drivers I want to see more young drivers. I want to see more teams. I just want to see the competition grow. Okay, last question is very important, especially for our listeners and the debate we always have. Will Lewis get number eight before Fernando Alonso gets number three? What say you? I love Fernando Alonso. I think what he's given to the sport is fantastic. He's a fierce competitor, isn't he? And he's arguably as good now as he ever was. I just think that Lewis has a better chance of getting number eight than Fernando has of netting another world championship, but, but we'll have to wait and see. I'd actually, you know what, I, I, both, I think they're both deserving. I, you know, I'd love to see Fernando back at the, the sharp end. He's always knocking on the door. He's had atrocious luck this year, and he keeps coming back and delivering. And, you know, it takes a lot with, with his age, with his experience with the success that he's had to keep bringing everything and finishing in the midfield. It takes a special character. And I think he, you know, if he had a, a winning car, he, he'd just apply that sort of endeavour to, to winning Grand Prix. But, but I just don't think he'll be at the sharp end, whereas Lewis has a real chance of getting that eighth world title. Agree. Sir, thank you so much for your time. I do want to ask you, where about are you in um, England? I am southwest London, so if you know Richmond, Twickenham, so not far from Heathrow, if you fly into Heathrow and you, you sort of head into London, you've got sort of Twickenham, Richmond, and then it, you'll get to sort of Fulham, Chelsea, that kind of stuff. So southwest London. Yeah, I'm a regular visitor, not ev every uh, month, but I do come to UK uh, almost on a yearly basis, especially before the COVID. So next time I am there, F1 Weekly is going to invite you for some curry and samosa action. I'd, love, I'd absolutely love to. Where do you visit? I am normally based in uh, Milton Keynes. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, not far. Yeah. I have to ask you, did uh, Philip say you're a cricket fan as well? Are you? Well, I'm yeah. originally from Pakistan, and you know what happened there between your team and... Exactly. That's a, I wasn't going to say, but I'm a massive... Um, my stepfather played professional cricket, and, and he played with um, Inti uh, 
and, and one or two, you know, big Pakistan names. We've got some really good um, friends from, from his cricket days from Pakistan. And uh, obviously, you know, I'm a, I'm a massive cricket fan as well. But I didn't want to mention the result just in case. Well, you know, no, that's okay. I have six again. Um, and congratulations to your side. Um, <laughs> cricket in Pakistan is like NFL in the United States. Everybody loves it. So maybe what we can do is maybe we can make a trip to Lords because I would love to yeah. see that uh, stadium once. Have you been there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been to Lords quite a few times. So uh, my, my father played at the Oval, being a Surrey player. So, but 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 we go to Lords. It, you know, to, going back to my answer with the the circuits, history and legacy so important in sport. You know, if they just picked up and built a new cricket pitch in. I don't know, Milton Keynes. It wouldn't be as special. You know, Lords, when you go there and you imagine the the players that have walked out of the long room and, and who's played there and, and, and you see that the, the ground, it's magical. You know, that you, you really do go back in time and, and that I think that's something really special. We'll have to experience it. Absolutely. Okay, thank you so much. And are you going to Abu Dhabi? No, no, I'm not now. So I'm actually done for for the season now because we all share it so I'm done and um, I'm a uh, weekend off I'm actually doing the world the FIA world touring cars from Saudi Arabia the weekend after so yeah okay great okay mm. thank you so much again and you have a good afternoon and evening thank you Nazir take care all you the too. best be okay, safe thank you. bye Tom thanks for joining F1Weekly.com. Welcome back to F1Weekly.com. Clark Rogers here, your host. In now, as we spin the globe and go around the world with Motorsports Mondial and the king, the Swami himself, Nasser Hamid. Thank you, sir. The Formula 2 season also came to an end on Yas Marina. Sprint race on Saturday was won by Kiwi Red Bull Charge Liam Lawson. This is a very, very good talent, and I'm very surprised that he did not win the championship this year, which was his second year. Now, last year, he started um, his F2 career with victory on debut, which is very, very few people have done that. He, I think he's only 20 years old. And next year, I believe Red Bull is putting him in Japanese Super Formula like they did with Pierre Gasly. Sunday's future race was like the F1 race. Red Bull drivers first and third. Tremendous dice in the closing laps between Ayumu Iwasa and 2022 champion Felipe Drugovic. Despite using DRS, Drugovic was unable to make a pass on the Japanese driver. And not surprisingly, Iwasa is supported by Honda. Liam Lawson was third in this race. And sir, the gentleman who did a very, very good... Two drivers did a very impressive job. One is Jack Tuan, who is now in the Alpine Road Ac um, Driver Academy. And Logan Sargent from Boca Raton, Florida. Uh, he also did very well. Actually, he became the season only the second American driver uh, after Alexander Rossi to win in, you know, modern-day GP2 and Formula 2. And sir... He is going to be a driver full-time at Williams next season, which is very good. And this guy is good talent. This is not like the American version of Latifi or Mazepin. You know, he was karting world champion. We interviewed him in his karting days. And a couple of years ago, 
He was leading the Formula 3 championship going into the final round, but lost it to uh, Oscar Piastri. So this guy is very good and very talented. I wish him well. And it's amazing, you know, some guy I was reading on, you know, these comments on racing website, one guy wrote that, well, he's as American as Eddie Cheever, alluding to the fact that Eddie Cheever spent most of his life uh, in Europe, even though he was born in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, your take on Sargent becoming a, and he's the first full-time American F1 driver since Scott Speed. And, you know, F1 weekly friend Alexander Rossi did some races, but not a full season. Your take on uh, Sargent going on an F1 beat? I'm very happy for him. I'm happy for America. And not only that, but with the rise in popularity, that means he's going to be on the grid in Vegas. So it's awesome. It's awesome. I mean, this is great for F1. It's great for America. It's great for the world. It's much better than the World Cup in Qatar. Okay. Oh, a lot of politics there also. Amazing. But we're going to stick to motor racing. Show me out, Nico Wynn. Long time rumor is no, no, it's now reality at Haas F1. The door has been shut close on Mr. Schumacher, Mick Schumacher that is. I have to say, you know, this day and age, you have to hit the ground running, which unfortunately Nick was not able to do. And, you know, he took two years to win F3 championship and two years to win the F2 championship. And my take has been in the recent past, if a, if a driver struggles in his first year in F2, because, you know, the problem in his F2 is tires are new and there is very limited testing, okay? So only the very best will shine in their rookie season, like George Russell, Charles Leclerc, and some chap named Lewis Hamilton. So, but, you know, he is hopeful that he will come back in 2024. I don't know if he will come back with... Uh, Audi or Porsche, but that big name and big budget behind him, I would not be surprised if he comes back in Formula One. What do, what do, what do you think his chances are? Absolutely zero. There's just not enough talent there. Everybody understands that. And to be honest with you, deep down, I, I just don't see the hunger that his papa had. It's a different world, different generation, and I think he will move on and fade away. You know, Papa had hunger because he came from nothing. Okay, just like Kimi and Nando and Lewis. So this was their one chance, one ticket to, as Lewis said himself, to get out of the ghetto. And these are his words, not mine. So, you know, and I, I, I got to tell you this, I've met a lot of young drivers. I got to know a few of them. And I see quite a few cases when a kid is coming, you know, if you're bringing a 12-year-old kid, at a karting event in a high-end Mercedes and he's staying in the finest hotels in Barcelona and Venice. What motivation will the kid have? And if you have this kind of background, and I've said this to a few people already in racing, that if you have a kid with a background like this, they'll probably make more money when daddy kicks the bucket than from their own racing career. That's just my take on these things okay now nico let me and here is proof proof is in the german pudding nico hulkenberg you've probably listened to uh beyond the grid podcast which is done by uh, tom clarkson which is the official f1 podcast have you listened to that ever no because i refuse nico hulkenberg comes from a town called emmerich 
which is on the border of Germany and Netherlands. And he was asked, what do you remember growing up? He, the word he used, and I was so surprised, one word, he said, poverty. Think about it and look where he is today. You know, he was champion in Formula BMW in Germany, rookie season. Sebastian Vettel took years, took two years to win that. He was champion in F3, and of course, our favorite, Hoppy Doss. And at one time, he was managed by Willie Weber, and with him, he won the A1GP championship, which I know you will say he never received the check for their winning, which is a fact. And then in 2015, he won the Le Mans 24-hour race on debut for Porsche. Now, I want to get your take. Do you think Haas is making the right decision? Forget about Mick in hiring a guy who's been in racing for a long time and he's been out for a few years. Well, what Hulkenberg is famous for is good engineering input. And he's consistent. He's German. And he's very likable, logical. And I think it is a good decision because when it comes to dollars per pound, I have a funny feeling he's a very, very good deal, just like Magnussen is. So I'm happy for Nico. I think this is obviously Nico's last chance, but we all deserve a last chance, Nasser. Yes. And, you know, Hulkenberg so far has made 181 Grand Prix start, um, famous for never appearing on the podium. This year he took part in the Bahrain and Saudi Arabian Grand Prix races, courtesy of COVID-affected drivers. He is married to a lady from Latvia and recently became a papito. We welcome him back to the wonderful world of Formula One racing. His teammate will be Kevin Magnussen. Let's see who will get ahead of the eight ball in the intra-team rivalry. And, sir, uh, th this is uh, a comment. Leave it to Gunther Steiner. He said about uh, Meg, even an F1 pole position would not have saved Schumacher. But, you know, I think uh, where Schumacher really lost out in those two big crashes and writing of uh, two chassis, and that was very, very costly. But I was thinking, you know, his family has the money to reimburse, and then some, so I don't know why they did not do that. But it's not over, I think. Okay, sir, now, Mr. Rogers, we present a moment in motorsports history. The 2022 season ended in Abu Dhabi, as is the case these days. If you follow the money, you will end up in the sands of Arabia and the fire of Azerbaijan, especially if you're looking for destination cities. And of course, the neon lights are very pretty in downtown Vegas. But many moons and starry, starry nights ago, Formula One season also ended in Arabia. We are talking about the 1958 Moroccan Grand Prix. 
The highlight of this race is going to be the crowning of the first ever British world champion. Chaps doing the duel were Mike Hawthorne for Ferrari and Sterling Moss. The glory that was to be for Her Majesty ended in tragedy. Moss had to win the race to have any chance of taking the championship. He did just that from pole position. But with a little help from his friend by the name of Phil Hill, Hawthorne was able to sail past the California driver to take second in the race and first place in the championship. A motorcycle dealer was managing the career of another English driver, Stuart Lewis Evans. His van wall caught fire and the driver was seriously burned and died a few days later from his injuries. The hustler pushing two wheels went on to become a major mover and shaker of the sport we all love on four wheels. Ladies and gentlemen, please meet Stuart Lewis, Evans' manager, the one and only Bernard Charles Ecclestone. The 1958 Moroccan Grand Prix was the only time a Formula One championship race was held in that country. These days you can catch a train to Marrakesh for a Formula E race. And I would like to add that in 1957, which was the standard in those days, there was a, uh, a non-championship Formula One race because that's what they required to show that you can hold a Formula One championship race. Let's have you do a Formula One non-championship race before that. Okay, sir, now we come to the last lap, Sebastian Vettel. Final race for Seb on the track where he became the youngest world champion in 2010. And what was so interesting about that championship, throughout the season he never led the championship, but after the season finale. With a little dunk is shown to comrade Petrov. And that's what happens when you are not lucky. Seb will be remembered for a lot of achievements. Ash followed his career when he was in Formula BMW Germany, which was a very basic series using a BMW motorcycle engine. And in his second year, he won 18 of 20 races. And that's what really put him on the map with uh, Dr. Marco. You know, there's a video on YouTube of him battling with Lewis Hamilton in a Formula 3 race. I think it's at Lausitz Ring or Zaxxon Ring, and it really shows how talented both of these drivers are, even when they were young. And Trevor Carlin told me that when they first tested Sebastian in a Formula 3 car, he was not at the track, but his team called him to say that this guy is incredible. And that was after first day, not after three days of testing. As is business as usual with Red Bull, they fast-tracked him from World Series by Renault to Formula 1, replacing Robert Kubica in the U.S. Grand Prix of Indianapolis. And, of course, he scored a point on his debut. That victory in the rain at Monza in 2008, that was one for the ages. The man who started on the front row in a far superior car, McLaren, Hekiko Alainen, he's still wondering what happened that day. That was really, really impressive do you remember at one time he missed the chicane and uh, he being federal and went up in the air do you remember that indeed my personal everlasting memory of sebastian federal will be not from a win of the championship but from the brazilian grand prix of the same year when he passed lewis hamilton again in the rain and lewis in the mclaren and him in a toro rosso alfa tori whatever they're called then basically a minardi and that is an image I will never forget. 
that moment for me is what this guy was all about. And he just was gone. And Timo Glock saved the day and the championship uh, for Mr. Hamilton. He is one of only three drivers who won four championships in a row, others being Fangio and Schumacher. Not a bad company to be in. From 299 starts, he has 53 Grand Prix wins, which puts him third in the all-time list and fourth in terms of pole positions with 57. He also has 122 podium. And his record of most pole positions in a season 15 from 2011 is still there, and that's one more than Arnage in 1992. In retirement, we wish him all the best and hope he enjoys some homemade cucumber salad. Auf Wiedersehen to wunderbar Renfahrer Sebastian Federer. Sir, I, you asked me once upon a time when Kimi left if I will miss Kimi. So let me ask you this. Will you miss Sebastian? And what is your big memory of this gentleman? Well, obviously my biggest memory is when I first met him when he was replacing Kubica at the United States Grand Prix in 2007 as F1 Weekly was there on the scene. So that is a big one. But his entire career is a great memory. I mean, the finger, the total domination for four years. Everybody was getting sick of the finger. We were all bitching about the finger and crying about the finger. But it was all wrong because he was a wonderful guy. And now he's a wonderful tree hugger. We love him to death. It was awesome. But what I like about the whole thing, it's a classy retirement. He's not going into his 40s. I have to say that I'm hoping LCH sees this, Fernando, and everybody else, Hulkenberg. You know, retiring, it's okay to retire and do other things in life, guys. You're going to be fine. So I'm very proud of him. Sir, to wrap up the show, we come to Musical Mondial. The race was in Arabia, so we have an Arabian theme today. This is from the orchestra of Ron Goodwin and a tune I have enjoyed before I discovered the joy and wonder of Formula One. Thank you for listening and please enjoy Dancing Eyes. <laughs> 